I've been, um, you can call it whatever you want. Um, some people call it prophecy. You know, um, I call it bugging people with things that are in my head sometimes. Um, and oh, last, I don't know, two months or so, I've been bugging Rick with this thing the Lord's been telling me. He says, we need to leave more room and space for the Lord. Where we don't know what we're going to do, and we're trusting that he does. Um, you know, and so now I'm speaking, and I, <laughs> I don't want to not do that. <laughs> and I was getting, you know, and I, <sighs> there's an aspect. I, I don't know. I don't want to share the process just to say like, something to talk about, but I do want to talk about this a little bit because I, I think this is going to be a big issue in the next year. Um, we can't fully be a people of God's presence if we know what we're doing, uh, because He does stuff that we don't know. Okay, and I, I just want to say that in preparation. You know, whatever's going on in your life, um, I think here there'll be. There'll be more of us not knowing what we're doing, but more of God knowing what he's doing. Now, he always knows what he's doing, but I think he, it takes people who sometimes don't know what they're doing um, for him to, for what he knows he's doing, to, to manifest. Um, I didn't plan on talking about this, so this is a great example. Um, I just want to say that, though, um, that we need to be a people of his presence, um, and, and there's an aspect of that where we need to leave room for him. Uh, I've been in churches, you know, and you know, and they run so well, you know. And I'm sitting there like, wow, this looks really good, Lord. But I don't know if you're doing anything. He says, well, no. Well, why not? Because they won't leave me any room to do anything. What should I do? It's like, well, I wouldn't do anything. <laughs> They're not let me do anything. You should do anything either. You know. I was like, oh, that makes sense. You know. Um, I just say that, just to throw that out there for your lives, um, that I've found some of the... Now, it manifests different in different personalities and different callings and different anointings and different gifts. It, it, it looks different and it feels different and it manifests different. Uh, but there's always the moment in the present and in the now where you're going to not know what you're doing. And that's going to be okay because God knows what he's doing. I'm going to come back around to this. You know, um, but uh, I just want I just want to throw that out there. Um, <clears throat> I, I was getting a PowerPoint ready. You know, <laughs> I was like, oh, what do I tell them? Listen, here's a bunch of scriptures. I may or may not use everything on here or nothing on here. You know, and if I use all these scriptures in the order that they're on here, it'll be the first time I've ever done that. So I just, you know, <laughs> just so you know, um, that 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 being said, uh, I'm gonna be in and around and keep on coming back to um, this passage from Psalms 89, uh, verse 14. So I'm going to start by reading it so that we can, we can, we can leave it and come back to it and, uh, um, and then just, just <laughs> come back and forth through it. Um, <clears throat> this is uh, in the King James. Um, I'll, 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 I'll comment on some other, you know, translations, but I... Um, it just ends so well in the King James. Is, uh, Psalms 89:14. It says this, Justice and judgment are their habitations of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before your face, or thy face. I'm, I'm putting modern English in there a little bit. Um, if you have the, like the, for instance, the, you know, most of you are using the NASB, right, because, right, that's what Moses used. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> I like the NASB a lot. Um, 
But uh, um, the reason I like the uh, New King, uh, the King James for this is the end, um, just how the the mercy and truth going before God's face. But I'm going to talk a little bit about the first half of this verse. Justice and judgment are the habitations of your throne. Or, or if, I don't know that the, um, NASB probably has um, a righteousness and justice um, are the foundations of your throne. And actually, I like that a little bit for the first half of the verse. So I want to talk a little bit about that, what that means. Um, um, I was talking with Jared earlier in the week. And he's like, what are you talking about? I was like, well, I might talk about how to, how to exist in the temporal, you know, and interface with the eternal, you know, and, 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 and seat yourself between the future and the past and the present so that you can receive whatever the Lord's doing. So, but that might be a bit much. But I do want to say there's something really interesting going on in this verse, in Psalms 89:14. We're seeing the interface between the eternal and the temporal in the sense that uh, we know Jesus describing himself in Revelation, essentially, as the Alpha and the Omega, yeah, that he's beginning, he's the end. And, and he's implying, of course, he existed before the foundations of the earth. Um, so he, he's before the beginning. And, and we know that eternity comes from the Lord. Eternal life comes from the Lord. So we know he's basically, there's no endings in, in the Lord. It's, it's just eternal. You know, it's, it's an open-ended uh, um, set, you know, for some of you who think of things in, in that terms, that the eternal is an open-ended set. So um, when God is, the foundations of his throne, they're not temporal. Uh, not only are they not limited by time, but they're not based on time. They're not based on change. They're not based on a limitation. Um, and so when he's talking about, the, especially in the uh, NSB, the foundations of strong, being justiceness and righteousness, these aren't based on us or our needs or what's going on in the earth. Um, if you look at those two words in particular, and, I, and you get a lot of different translations because of the, there's depth in those words, whether you're translating as righteousness or justice, or the other word actually you can translate as justice or judgment. Um, there's two main aspects to this foundation of his throne. Um, and if you, you, you know, if you want to think of this geometrically, you could think of it um, as kind of the, the, the bounding four sides of his throne. You've got things of righteous things and things of justice. And I'll, I'll tell you why I'm talking about in two sets of um, almost like the sides of a rectangle uh, in a minute. But... Uh, his righteousness, basically, this is not a hard word to translate. It means rightness. It's a state of everything being right. You can almost translate the word to being normal. And I know in a, in a postmodern society, there, what is normal? There is no normal. We know this because, you know, we all know we're dysfunctional and everything's fallen and everything's screwy. In God, there is a normal. And it's called holiness and it's called rightness. Normal isn't... In God, it isn't a certain amount of dysfunction, but, but mostly functional, but it sort of works, and it's average, and God's got 2.5 kids, and one and a half dogs, and three and a half TVs. That's not normal. That's average. Normal, this word that you can translate to be normal, or right, or rightness, it is a state of perfection. Okay, God sits where everything is perfect. Right? We know what he does on his throne. He sits on his throne. Everything is perfect. Everything is right. Okay, here's when we see it, you know, one of the things that, that happens when you see the rightness of God manifest where he's sitting is you cry things out like, holy, holy, holy. Right, it's set apart. It's in perfect order. There's nothing wrong with it. The standard for which everything else should be ordered flows from the rightness that we see manifest where he is sitting. Everything is right. Everything is ordered. You know, and there's, there's glory there. 
There's holiness there. There's perfection there. There is awe there. Isaiah, when he beholds, right? What is this in Isaiah 6? He looks up, right? The, the year that King Uzziah dies. He was high and lifted He looks. He sees the Lord high and lifted up. These things, things flying around. You know, holy, holy, holy. Right? And the Lord is right and he is perfect. And he has such a clear view of the perfection and the rightness of the Lord sitting on his throne and the rightness underneath of it that, that he is undone. Right? He, he, he realizes that he is a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. Why does he realize that? Because he sees what's normal and he realizes he's not normal. Normal is no lies on the mouth. Sitting in a place where there, there can be no accusation against the Lord because nothing is out of order. You know, and, you know, uh, I know it's taught here, you know, the, you know <laughs> what it says in the Lord, the Lord, conv- you know, the Holy Spirit convicts us of righteousness. What is that? It's a revelation, essentially, of the throne of the Lord. Because when we behold his righteousness, and we're like, oh, and these are all the things that aren't right. You know, if you want to say it practically, and, and it loses some of the all when you say this, the righteousness of God is, is the state of everything in being right order. So if you're convicted of righteousness, you're convicted of what right order is, what normal in the Lord is, and then you see everything that doesn't line up. And you're like, oh, man, <laughs> I have a problem. <laughs> you know? This doesn't line up with that. And that's what the righteousness beholds. It's, a, it's more of a state of being of everything right. And righteousness doesn't change because everything changes, is changed because of righteousness. And we see this in the, the kind of the model that was made in the tabernacle. Because Moses beholds this and he gets a craftsman to, to represent it symbolically and with crafts and pictures and gold. And um, they build the mercy seat on top of the, you know, the ark. This is the place where the presence of God comes. This was a model scale representation in the finite, in the temporal, of the eternal righteous throne of the Lord. And they call that place the Holy of Holies. Where holiness isn't just something set apart, but it's something in perfect order. And the requirements to get into the Holy of Holies, according to the law, was being in perfect order. So, you know, the high priest, had, once a year, he had to repent of all his own sin, all his family's sin, all the priest's sin, every sin for the entire nation of Israel. So when he went in there... He wouldn't die. Because he would corrupt what was in there. No, you don't corrupt righteousness. Righteousness corrects you. I always imagine that, because the, 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 they used to, you know, the bells on their things, they used to they got around, Scripture doesn't tell them to do this, but they used to do They used to tie a rope around them. So that when they died, you could pull them out without sending someone in, because then, you know, you just, you just start piling up bodies. It's not a... Because if the high priest isn't in right order, anybody working for him and going in after is not likely to be in right order. And I always imagine it like this. Not that he was, oh, messed up and and God killed him because he was messed up. He went into the Holy of Holies and beholding righteousness, he became holy. And sometimes instant perfect order, you know, it's a shock. It's a trauma shock to the heart and to the brain. (laughs) You behold righteousness, you get transformed by it, your body may not survive the process. Um, Now, that's going to happen for us actually one day, actually. We're going to get transformed to perfect holiness. We are not going to care if our bodies survive the process because that will be the day that we become perfect. Um, but, it, but in the flesh, that, that can be a rough thing. And we see this in the law. Something touches something holy, it becomes holy. We see this. This food is holy. And anything that touches it becomes holy. You see this throughout Leviticus. Things that touch the holy things become holy. And they get into a problem not because they become unholy, but because they become holy and now they need to be treated as holy. Something given to the Lord becomes holy. Something touching the ark becomes holy. Um, and so righteousness doesn't get corrupted by unrighteousness, 
Righteousness orders things that aren't righteous, okay? Um, and so that's an intense thing. That's a glorious thing. That's an awesome thing when we behold that in worship or in prayer and in revelation. The holiness, the order, the righteousness of God is awesome. And so that's one part of the foundation of his throne. The other part, and I like to say the other two sides, it talks about justice. Now this has to do with pronunciation, it has to do with words, it has to do with deeds, and it has to do with action. So if righteousness is being right, justice is making things right. His pronouncements are just. His ways, the how he does things, his actions. All right, so the throne of the Lord is found on perfect state of everything being right, but also perfect actions, the actions, the activity, the pronouncements, the judgments. Now, in the sense of condemnation, in the sense of whatever he says is right, what he speaks is truth, his response to anything going on in all creation is going to be the right response. So, right state and right action. Now, if the law proceeds from this, it's understandable why the law kills you. Because everywhere it uncovers a lack of right state and a lack of right action, you know, you realize that you can, you know, you're, you're in violation of all of God's nature. He who you know, um, violates a part of the law violates the whole thing. Um, so, now, the reason I talk about this, I'm going to talk about the second half of the verse in a second. I just want you to, to understand the nature of the throne of the Lord. And I have lots of friends from ministry. I have more that used to be in ministry than aren't anymore. They go through this hard process sometimes. The Lord moves in their life. Their gifts get stirred up. They become anointed. They do some intense, powerful, awesome things. And then their life unravels. And they're mystified. It's like, oh, I know why that happens. He goes, why? Oh, because the enemy's wiping me out. Because the attack is too horrible. No, no, no. The enemy's not wiping you out. I mean, he'd love to. But that's not really what's happening. Um, you're building something from the Lord. And he's coming and sitting on it. The Lord only sits on that which is righteous and that which is just. So everything that you're doing is tested by the righteousness and justice of the Lord. That what you describe as falling apart, your life unraveling, is merely the way the Lord's sitting on you. It's, you know, no big, now, that is a big thing. And in fact, there's, there's nothing bigger than the Lord sitting on you. Um, and, uh, and I was pondering this, because this is like, man, like... Just through people I know and things I've been around in my own life, and certainly, like, yes, people who, like, sin is horribly destructive. Death is, that's really bad. Death can kill you, just, just so you know. Um, we see death with Adam and Eve, you know, we just see this perpetually. Um, but being around ministry, being around anointed situations, I, I find the anointing is, it's not destructive. It's not evil. It is hard. Why? Because whenever you say, hey, Lord, I'm doing something for you, because really, let me sit down. Let me test how it's going. You know, and then, man, whew, righteousness and justice show up, you know, and it threshes you. And he's separating the wheat from the chaff in your heart and your life and your deeds and your ministry and your action and your finances and your history and your family and all, you know, it gets pretty rough, you know. Um, and the thing is, is, Lord, well, how on earth, you know, and I, I think this is where, where Isaiah was very quickly and instantly, how on earth can we survive interacting with you? When, if we want to minister, if we want to use our gift, if we want to be anointing, one of the effects of this is you show up in righteousness and justice. You know, in the casualty rate, it's pretty high. It's horrific out there. You know, in, in not just out there in general, but in the church. 
Not people who, who pretend to be called, people who are faking it, people who are lying. I don't mean those people. And they eventually get exposed. I don't mean that. I mean people who are truly anointed and called and responding. Casualty rate is horrific. You've ever been around, like, ministries that help restore other ministries. And I know there's a part of sometimes Eagle's Nest where people come in that have been in ministry and stuff like that. I mean, it is brutal out there. The trouble that people who are in ministry get into is off. It is, it's much quicker and far worse than people who have been around. Um, it, it's just rough. It is rough. It is brutal. You know, and I'll say with like, oh, the enemy's after me. He's stretching me. He's got a hold of me. It's like, I don't think it's the enemy. I think it's God. You know, you're doing something for him, and he's sitting on it and saying, hey, you know, can this hold my kingdom? <laughs> you know, as quick as you can get to know, <laughs> you know, the better you'll be. Um, and, but what do you do then? You know, what do you do? We want the presence of the Lord. We want his holiness. We want his righteousness. We want to be his dwelling place. What do we do? All right. Well, it's the second half of this verse. Um, that starts to tell us how do we interact with perfection, with righteousness, with justice that cannot be avoided when the presence of the Lord shows up. But it talks about this. This is why I like the King James. Mercy and truth shall be, go before your face. You can translate this as mercy and grace if you want, or tender, kinding, lovingness, and graceful truth. You'll see this. Um, in a lot of different versions, you'll see these words translated. It's, they're not translated because they're contention about the word means. These words, both the judgment and just, the righteousness word and the justice word, and the mercy and truth word, are translated differently because they are large words. They mean a diversity of things that are consistent, but they're, they don't fit well into small words. You know, I think that the NASB it doesn't say mercy, it says loving kindness. I think it still says truth. But some talk about grace. Now, if you take this and you compare it with um, Hebrews, where are we, 5, oh no, 4.16, that, that actually Mitch was just praying a second, you know, well, no, a second ago, I started talking, so that was a while ago. Um, he was quoting this in prayer. He was praying this, right? Uh, Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And that, that's the... Um, I'm just reading from the King James. Um, it's really interesting. Here we have, in Psalms, righteousness and justice. You know, and all these things. I mean, you know, Ezekiel has a rough time when he sees this. John, and it melts John, even getting a taste of the revelation coming from the throne. All of Daniel's friends run away, and he falls on the ground, and he has to be picked up. Um, this... this the manifest presence of the glory of God that we see in the Old Testament. People go into the Holy Holies and some of them don't come out. Um, we see this, you know, it's particularly with, with the old, two oldest sons of Aaron. Um, and yet, Hebrews talks about this being the throne of grace where we receive mercy and we find grace and we should go there boldly. You know, now, I like enigmas. Because wherever you find enigmas, Things that go together, you can't figure out how they go together. That, that's an enigma to me. You know, um, These are two disparate things and they go together. In those places where the enigma, in the enigma is, we find rampant truth in Revelation about the nature of the Lord. How can righteousness and justice being the foundation, something that no one can withstand, that Moses can't, you know, he's got to be hidden in the cleft and only see the trail end of the glory of God. Otherwise, it'll kill him. And no man in the flesh can behold it and live. 
You know? <laughs> the Ark of Covenant gets stolen, gets returned, they open the box, and everybody dies. Indiana Jones, right? They stole from the book of Samuel. Like, ooh, what happens when you open the ark? Well, everybody dies. Oh, cool, let's do that. Right? They didn't make that up. They got that from Samuel. And the Israelites opened it, and they melted. And then kind of freaked them out. People touch it, and they die. (laughs) You know, how does that reconcile with go boldly to the throne of grace so we can obtain mercy so that we can also obtain grace? And it is in this passage in Psalms 89.14 where we see how those two things fit together. He sits on righteousness and justice. When it's him and when it's his kingdom, is infinitely just and infinitely just right. But what goes before his face, when he's in that perfect place of perfect action and perfect being and perfect state and perfect deeds and perfect wisdom, and perfect, you know, his ways are fully manifest and his righteousness is fully manifest, his glory is fully known, is what goes from him when he's there is before his face go mercy and grace. That means when he's sitting on his perfect throne, he's looking at you, but he's looking at you through the eyes of mercy and the eyes of grace. So the key to align to the throne of the Lord is through mercy and grace. So, (laughs) this goes to this question of why does the Lord sit sometimes on churches and ministries and test them? Well, he wants to know, can I establish my kingdom on this? Is this a cornerstone? He tests everything he sits on. God was reestablishing the rule and reign of his kingdom. He sent his son Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. What does he do with Jesus Christ? He sits on him. Can he withstand in the weight of the entire world? Can he have perfect action and can he live in a perfect state? You know, and will he he persist in that? Not just through death, but for the torment of the cross. Of course, knew the answer is yes. Right? He tests <laughs> He tests even himself when he does that. The cornerstone gets tested. Now, if we enter that test purely, we don't pass that test. Okay, if you want to cheat and see what the end is, you, you fail that test. Now, here's the good news. As many, you know, people that study the, the philology, you know, of teaching, whatever, um, part of a test is to show you what you don't know. So why would God let you fail a test of righteousness and justice? So you would know what you need to receive. And this is where mercy and justice come in. Okay? I am not interested in doing things for the Lord. I'm not interested in building his kingdom for him. Okay? His kingdom is already at hand. And he is already righteous and just. And he's already doing things. What I'm most interested in is doing things with him in the moment. (laughs) Because it's in the moment that we find mercy and grace. One of the things I've found for people when I pray for them or they share stuff and I'm dealing with my own stuff is God never gives me grace for the future. He only ever gives me grace for the present. If I contemplate all the things I need to do, I can't do anything. But if I contemplate what the Lord wants me to do right now, I can do that. Why? Because He sees me right now through the eyes of grace. And I can act in grace right now. I can act tomorrow when it's now. I can act in grace tomorrow when it's now. But I cannot. I cannot account within myself what I need for tomorrow. And we see this in the Lord's Prayer, where we, you know, <laughs> give us Lord, our daily bread. This is really an allusion to what we see in Exodus, where he's pouring out manna, right? What happens if you take manna for more than one day? It rots on you. 
If you know that, if you're planning for, ooh, 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 do I have resources for a week? The answer is no, you don't. Each day you only have resources for the day. Now, why am I telling you this? Because it's my experience, the only place to receive mercy and grace is in the current, present moment. Now, if you can understand that, you can align, as I was alluding to with larger words before, today with eternity. The temporal with the eternal. Right now, the Lord is looking at me through the eyes of mercy and grace. My question to myself on a daily basis, when I pray for myself and for others, (laughs) and I pray this for many others when I sit there and pray for it, is, will I recognize and receive mercy when he comes to me? Am I willing to be in a place of mercy so I can receive it? And then, will I recognize and receive grace when it comes to me? And will I be able to receive it? Um, Because the only way to interface with God's throne is through mercy and grace. Now, I do not think it's, you know, he, God flipped the coin and said, hey, let me mention mercy first here, or his loving kindness here first before I mention truth. Or, or you can translate it as faith, actually, empowered faith. I, I like to call it grace, but because uh, it lines up with um, Hebrews 4.16, where we approach, <laughs> we first obtain, we approach the throne of grace, but we first obtain mercy, then we get grace. All right. Now, I've taken to, to praying through this. Verily, actually, I'm not a very methodical person. You know, it took me 15 years into being in ministry, whereas if I went to a church with two services, I would never preach the same message twice. I would go places with two separate kind of pools of mystical, separate thoughts that would turn into messages. I, I knew I was going to preach one at two different... I didn't know which service I'd preach, which I knew I was going to talk about two different things. It's only in the last five years that I've ever been at a church with two services and pr- preach the same message. So I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a man of high routine. I just want you to know that. Um, but I've been methodically uh, praying... Um, for myself and for my family, and for people I know. When I sit and minister with people, I've been asking this question. You know, um, are they receiving mercy? Because I know if you're not receiving mercy, grace will do you no good. Why? Because mercy has to do with you being in a place of need and weakness. The Lord's mercy has to do with you. Now, His righteousness and justice has to do with Him. But his mercy has to do with you. And that's why, you know, that's why he looks at us that way. His mercy is for us. Now, the only way I know how to receive mercy is to be in need of it. You cannot receive mercy if you do not need it. Okay? <laughs> now, when I add a corollary, you don't receive mercy when you don't think you need it. When you're not aware of your need, you, you, you're not receptive to mercy. Now, he might cram it in around your life, and he might come in the back door, and he, he, he might take all he can get. But the Lord is looking to pour out full, full mercy upon you. And it's our ability to, re- to be aware of our need for that. Um, now, <laughs> one of the other passages, because this, this passage from Hebrews 89, 14 has been haunting me just for, for a while now. But one of the verses that was passing, haunting me before that, and there was very few people who talked to me for like a two years period where I, I didn't come up in conversation or ministry or word or just, just talking. Um, and I, I, probably, I probably talked about this last time I actually spoke before I moved here. Uh, it was a passage in um, Isaiah 51.3 where it talks about the Lord is coming to comfort in our waste place and our dry places. What that really says, he's coming to bring mercy to where we're in need. 
Where we're naked, he clothes us. Where where we're vulnerable, he protects us. Where we're in sin, he forgives us. Where we're dirty, he cleanses us. Where we're in pain, he comes to comfort us. And when we're broken, he comes to heal us. Now, these are interesting sets of things. Because, going back to my friends in ministry, when you go before the Lord knowing what you're doing, knowing what you're going to do for Him, knowing that, you're, that you figured out how to, how to minister to the entire earth, where you know that you're gifted and you know that you're anointed, you're going before the Lord in a position of strength. You're saying, hey, Lord, I'm righteous. <laughs> Come and sit on me and see how righteous I am. And that becomes a rough deal. But when you go before the Lord, you know, um, like someone going to Ellis Island... <laughs> You know, a humbled, wretched, naked mass. He looks at you and he looks at you through eyes of mercy. And he touches you through eyes of mercy. When his gaze of mercy falls upon you, you feel his touch. We see this with Jesus, where he has compassion on people. People get healed. They get delivered. We see this over and over again. He had compassion on them and he healed them. Why? Because he was looking at... Jesus was looking at people through the eyes of God's mercy, God the Father's mercy, and therefore God was, was healing. Now, I'm not saying this is this trick. If you can put yourself in the right mindset, God will do what you want him to do. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that it's our orientation primarily to the throne is from a place of weakness. And when we can do this regularly, we find that our places of weakness, they actually are our places of strength. My worst places are my best places with God. My worst moments in my life have become the best places I've ever had with the Lord. I can remember many years ago, this is Mims was pregnant with Josh, who's now a freshman at Clemson. Um, she's like eight months pregnant, um, and I'm passing kidney stones. Okay? Um, I end up in the emergency room. They give me, without asking me, without even asking me or telling me, they give me a shot of Demerol. My wife that night ended up, we had the worst kind of conversation we've ever had. <laughs> I remember the next day where it was like, man, I've said things that I, I've never said before. And, you know, all sorts, you know. And all of a sudden someone comes up to me and says, like, well, I have no idea what you're going through. But I, I just feel so much the Lord is, he is there with you where you are in this moment. And in that moment I could feel the Lord's mercy. Why was he with me? Because I was right? Because I was just, No. He was with me because, unlike before the night before, I knew how broken I was. I knew how needy I was. I knew how wretched I was. I knew how miserable I was. I knew before, you know, the day 24 hours before that, that if you give me a shot of narcotic, there's stuff in me that's not good that will come out. You know, and I wasn't, you know, I don't think I was still, because the pain was back, so I I was pretty clear. I wasn't still when I'm feeling this way. I just knew it was in me. Because I knew it was in me, I was willing to let what was in him come to me and pour out mercy. Now, why is this important? Now, all of you who've gotten saved, you don't get saved without being in a place of mercy. Mercy and salvation is all about neediness. There are no noble salvations. You don't get saved because... Wow, God is good. Oh, okay. I choose to be good like him for the sake of everybody else. Lord, save me. You don't get saved that way. All salvations are selfish. People's testimony, how they got saved. Oh, 
I don't care what it was. You know, my marriage is falling apart. I needed help. You know, I was willing to do anything. I got saved. You know, I was addicted. I needed help. I got saved. I was miserable. I was poor. I was rejected. I was suicidal. No one. Your moments of salvation. These are horrible places that become redeemed moments of perfection. Because you were needy enough to receive God's mercy. Now, the quicker you are to recognize and receive God's mercy, like, oh, I need that. Uh, I am naked there. I am weak there. I am poor there. I am broken there. Typically, the quicker you receive it, and the quicker he dwells with you in that place. And as it says in Isaiah 51, 3, you know, he comforts us there in our waste places and our dry places. <clears throat> now, having received mercy, and we see this in Hebrews 4.16, now we can acquire grace. Now, <laughs> Mims is like, hey, what are you going to talk about? It's like, oh, I was going to talk about some temporal issues, but I think I'm going to talk about mercy and grace. You're going to preach a mercy and grace in the house of mercy and grace? We've been visiting here for 12 years. You know, Rick's been talking about mercy and grace for 12 years. I, you know, anybody else experienced this? Um, I was like, oh, yeah. Why? Number one, because the Lord's taken this church back to its foundations. If you do not learn to live in mercy and grace, you probably won't be here for that long. Okay? Because this church is being tested by mercy and grace. Can you receive it? And can you pour it out? You know? I don't know anything that so connotates the calling a dwelling place. Then, can you receive mercy? And can you pour out mercy? And can you receive grace? Can you pour out grace? Um, so, if mercy... <laughs> is God looking at us in a place of nakedness. And i tell you, there's nothing more terrifying than to stand before God naked and say, hey, do you love me? I tell people this. Hey, you screwed up. Oh, wait, 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 before you get better. Before you feel better. You know, or if you already feel better, next time you're here, don't, don't plan on being here, but you'll be here again. Don't worry about it. Next time you're here in this horrible place, ask God honestly, how do you feel about me? You know how terrifying that is? It's so terrifying that being caught in sin, Adam and Eve are hiding in the bushes covered in leaves. It's just, they didn't want to look in God's eyes because they didn't want to find out if he no longer loved them. Now, theologically, we all know God loves us. Theologically, we all know he has mercy for us. Okay, and if you don't know that, we just come up and we'll pray for you, and then you, you'll know that. Um, but our hearts don't know that. Because if our hearts knew that, we wouldn't have a problem being broken. To take yourself in your worst moments and go before the Lord and say, how do you really feel about me right now? You know, that's not the best thing to do in certain relationships if they're not firm relationships. You know, but if, if you have good friends and, and great relations, you know who your friends are because they show up at your worst moments. Um, and, and this is God's mercy. shows up at your worst moments, um, but it's often the thing we're most terrified of. Not his mercy, but finding out whether he still has mercy for us. Your word says you love me here, you forgive me here, but do you actually love me here? This is the best thing you can do when you screw up really badly. Or you realize how wretched and broken you are. You realize your subconscious is doing horrible things to people. You never knew it. You know, I'm not mean. To, oh, man. <laughs> I am mean. I'm sorry. Oh, oh no. Before, you love me here, Lord. If God, if, when you find your worst spots and you find out God loves you there, repentance is easy. Because repentance isn't you changing, it's letting him in and he changes you. All right. If you're receiving mercy, meaning you're receiving him in your weakness, then you can, as it says in Hebrews 4.16, then you can seek grace. You can acquire grace. Come to him in mercy, you can acquire grace. I know different versions say that differently. 
Um, we would go to the throne of grace boldly. Why? Because we're going to get mercy, and then we're going to get grace. Now, if mercy is God touching us in our weakness and comforting us and doing all those things that we need, not making us not needy, but us being needy and him being the needed, right? We see this in the Beatitudes. You know, we mourn, he comforts us. You know, we're hungry, you know, he gives us stuff. <laughs> you know, that's just how it works. Uh, we see this, oh, in the Beatitudes. What's, your, what's the right attitude to be? You be needy, and he bees God, right? That's mercy. Now, grace is actually the, the tail end of the Beatitudes and the other end of it. If mercy is being in a place of weakness and God being strength, grace is God pouring out strength through us. You know, and I, I mean, I'm talking about months and months. I'll, I'll typically pray for myself, my wife, our children, and then other people in our lives that we're routinely praying for. After I'm done praying for mercy, I start praying for grace. And grace, I'll pray things like truth. Because when he speaks truth to you, you become his truth. And you become transformed by truth, and you can act in that truth. When he pours out his power on you, you become empowered, you can do stuff. When he pours out his anointing on you, you become anointed, and you can do things. Um, and one of the things I realized that falls into grace is him calling us things that we don't know we're yet, so we can become those things. We see this with Peter. Simon, you're not Simon, you're Peter. You're a rock. You know, you're the foundation, Right? Now, if you're Catholic, you're saying specifically, but whatever. But he's talking to the church on this found rock. I'm going to build, you know, the foundation. He's calling what he's not yet so he could become that. That is grace. He's giving you strength you don't have yet so you can become strong. He's giving you truth you don't yet know so you can know truth. He's calling you by his name. He's calling you by the name that you have that you don't even know about yet so you can become that. And so if mercy is receiving the needs that you need, grace is becoming what you're not yet. Then as mercy flows through you, you, right, mention people in their need, and as grace flows through you, you become what other people need you to be so you can minister out of strength and power and truth and anointing and holiness and righteousness. Now, if we're receiving grace and receiving mercy, we have no problem before the throne. Why? (laughs) Because it is a throne of grace. The whole point of the throne it being righteous and it being just. is so when he looks at us, we become righteous and we become just through his mercy and through his grace. Through his mercy, we enter a right state. And through his grace, we act according to his ways and we become right action. So grace is what transforms us from we can't go there because it will kill us to there is coming here because we've become like him. Right? And this is where he's taking us as a body. This is where he's taking the entire bride. This is his plan in the earth. Heaven is his throne. Earth is his footstool. But he's making his footstool his throne as well. And transforming it according to his ways. Now, sometimes wires get crossed. Okay? And so I, I want to talk about a few things where we get confused. We get little misaligned to mercy and grace. We get saved, we come to know the Lord, and we encounter mercy and grace. Now, many of you, many of us, I know myself, we start preferring different aspects of mercy and grace to other aspects of mercy. Many of us, we don't like being weak. So we'll get mercy as quickly as we can so we can move on to grace and try and stay there for the rest of our lives. Are you with me? What do I need to do? I need to be as anointed and powerful and understanding and knowledgeable as I can. I need to understand truth. Why? So that I can be grace. So I can do what he wants me to do. And that's fine until this comes along. 
He sees you through eyes of mercy and grace. He sees something in you that needs mercy. And in your mind, you're only looking for grace. Why? It's typically often. It's often not even, even selfish. It's there's things I need to do. There's things I need to be. I do not have time to be weak. I cannot afford weakness. And I don't like it. It's really uncomfortable. And so we're in need. We can feel it. Something's not right in us. Something's wrong. Our life is not in a right state. We're looking from the Lord for what we need. And what are we looking for when we're misaligned to mercy and grace? Sometimes He's pouring out mercy and we're only receiving grace. This sets you up for a very rough time. Because for in order for you to receive mercy, He has to show you that you're weak. But in order to act in grace, you're acting out of His power. So you're looking to be empowered while He's trying to show you that you're naked. And often we're trying to be empowered. We're trying to help others. We're trying to serve others. We're trying to do the right thing. We're trying to say the right thing. And the Lord, because He loves you, because He knows this part of you that's in torment and pain still, He's trying to show you that you're naked and weak and poor and broken. So you can feel bad? No! So He can comfort you where you already feel bad, but that you're denying it. And so often when I sit with someone, I'll ask this question, (laughs) before I speak anything of truth and grace, as far as empowering them and changing them, is, are they receiving mercy? Not do they need it, are they receiving it? If you wonder, do I need mercy? No, the answer to that is yes. You're perpetually interfaced with heaven and the throne and righteousness and truth and any form of grace. You're in desperate need of perpetual mercy. The question is, how aware of you are that you're in need of mercy? How naked do you know you are when you're on your own? How broken are you aware that you are on your own? Oh, isn't that confessing brokenness? Oh, no. Where's the faith in that? No, no, no. I am broken and God can't help me. That's a confession of, 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 of a falsehood. I am unbelievably broken. In those places, God's unbelievably strong. That is a confession of truth. And so, like a chiropractor, I think some of you, the Lord wants to, he wants to adjust you so you're aligned with the throne of mercy and grace so you could receive mercy. Because you so desperately want grace, you are causing a problem for yourself. I feel miserable. Oh, Lord, empower me. Equip me. Give me position. Give me anointing. Pour out on my gift. Give me revelation. So I can continue to avoid my need for mercy. Now, you're not thinking this, but, but your heart knows this. That's why it's so, I need to do, I need to do so badly. Why? Because if I stop, I'll realize I'm naked. I'm weak. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. And then I'll feel ashamed. Well, that's not from the Lord. No, the Lord says, when you tire out and you fall on the floor, then I can carry you and you realize how much I love you. Are you hearing this? Because if you want grace to transform the world, you better be receiving mercy. Which means you have to let Him in deeper and further. The places that you didn't know were deeper and further. And your nakedness and your brokenness and your hunger. And your selflessness. Okay? Now that's the people who need mercy and are looking for grace. Now, there's another category of people. You're what God's trying to pour out grace, and you're looking for mercy. Well, how's that work? Well, let me explain it. Because I raised the question. Um, after you receive mercy, you know what always follows when you receive mercy? Grace follows when you receive mercy. You just learn, oh, I'm naked. Cool, because now God will clothe me. 
You know what follows God meeting your needs? He sends you out to meet other people's needs. Now, if your identity is only on the fact that you're naked, you don't think you can meet anybody's needs. Well, let me get this right. When I'm broken, I'm in a horrible place, God shows up. Cool, I know the key to life now. Perpetually be broken in a horrible place and be needy. Uh, you know, now if you're oriented to grace instead of mercy, you think, oh, duh, that's stupid. You know, but, of course, the people who are oriented to mercy instead of grace think they're stupid. Now, I'm not trying to cause a division. But we typically, we typically, in a situation and an issue, if not predominantly, fall into one of these categories when we're having a hard time. He's trying to give us mercy, and we only want grace. He's trying to give us grace, and we only want mercy. Now, what does the second one look like? You're weak. You screw up all the time. You know, you quickly realize how much of a failure you are. When God shows up, you feel great about yourself. When he tells you to do something, <laughs> you keep on thinking, oh, wait a minute. No, no, no. <laughs> something in you. And again, I'm going to give a clue here. I don't say this. I don't say this because it's better at all. I don't say this better at all. Um, I like grace instead. Of, I don't like being weak. I like knowing everything. You got a problem? I like to figure it out for you. You don't realize you have a problem? I like showing you you have a problem. You're doing something be- good? I want to show you, you know, how you can do it better. <laughs> I'm just telling you, I like grace. You know? I, I, I don't typically look for mercy, you know, uh, for myself. And I've had to train myself to look for mercy for other people. Um, it, can, it can lead to a rough marriage sometimes. My wife is having a hard time in pain. I'm trying to empower her to act. You're like, no, 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 no. How can I pour out mercy before grace? Because if you prefer grace for yourself, you like giving grace to other people. You don't like giving mercy. What does it look like to give grace? Empower someone to act. And I'm, this isn't wrong. You can be called to grace predominantly instead of mercy as a gift and a ministry. And that's fine as long as they're receiving mercy first. Now, let me get back to what it looks like to want mercy instead of grace. You're called to do something, but when you, you're called to do it, you realize you're not capable of it. Okay, mercy would say, oh, okay, let me comfort you realizing how broken you are. But grace would say, let me empower you, and you're going to do it anyway. Right? This is what grace tells you your things that you don't know you are. It tells you to do things you can't possibly do. When you do them in grace, you can actually do them. All right? I am an introvert my entire life. I grew up in a church. Presbyterian church where every Sunday people would, like 20 people would raise their hand for prayer requests. I had 16 years of perfect attendance bars. I would never for my life raise my hand in church and ask for prayer. Why? Because I'm an introvert. And that looks like a weak thing to do. I don't want to do that. Right? Grace is at 18, God picks me up and I prophesied to the church. They had never heard prophecy before. Neither had I. I just realized if I stood up and spoke, stuff would come out of my mouth. That is grace. For an introvert, that's grace. For anybody, prophecy is grace. You're speaking things you don't know, right? Based on a God who knows stuff that you don't. Now, that's a, you know, but when we aren't to mercy, what's happening is I can't speak because I'm still broken. I don't know enough to speak. You know, it will go badly later and there's some hope issues in that. But you know what I'm saying? And so when we get ready to act, first we're trying to get more and more mercy. You know? And again, I, I, I'm not trying to make fun of this. You know, before I act, I need to, I need to, I need to, I need to receive full comfort before I act. Well, 
these things are sequential. He pours that mercy, he pours that grace. He pours that mercy, he pours that grace. He pours that mercy, he pours that grace. Now what happens is if he pours that mercy and you receive it, he pours that grace, you don't. You're typically not in a place to receive mercy when he pours it out again. Because right. you are here on this earth still because you have things to do which require grace. If God's primary interest in you was just to perpetually pour out mercy to comfort you, he would take you home. Where there's full mercy, there's full cry, there's no crying, there's no tears. You're here because he has things for you to do that you cannot do without him. So he's perpetually changing your weaknesses and the strengths. So, when you have an orientation to mercy, but not grace, you know, a misorientation, I'm not talking about a calling, um, whenever God tells you to do something or you get invited to do something, you're thinking about what's wrong with you and why you can't do it. And you wait to become better before you try and do anything. <clears throat> you know what? <laughs> you, you need, I just want to say this, I don't try to say this as merciful as possible. Um, you'll receive more mercy when you're, God's pouring out grace through you and to you than if you're not. Why? Because God's power and anointing through you open up new areas of need that you didn't even know you had until you act. I didn't know how incompetent I was until I did things well. When you do things only God can do, afterwards you realize, I can't repeat it. Oh my God, I'm in trouble. (laughs) I need you. Mercy leads to grace and grace leads to mercy. If we get stuck where we're not receiving one or the other, the cycle's broken and we're stuck. So if you're stuck, typically it's one of those two issues. Now, are those simple issues? No. Mercy is infinite. Grace is infinite in depth and in breadth. There's tons of issues of mercy. Nakedness, brokenness, pain, anguish, fear, sin. You know, all these things that mercy stirs up. There's all these things that grace stirs up. Power, anointing, gifting, faith, action, transformation, identity, knowledge. These are all issues of grace. So, I'm not saying, oh, it's just grace. No, 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 it's grace. But in what way? Mercy, I'm in need that I don't, right? In a way that I didn't realize I needed it. You know, and if you're stuck, it's probably because you're looking for grace and not mercy. My leg is broken, Lord. Help me walk faster. That's who people who look for grace and not mercy are looking for. They're not looking to be healed. They're looking to walk. You understand? Right? And so I, I know I'm repeating this a little bit because we're about to do something about this. Um, but now if you're oriented... For mercy, not grace. He heals your leg, but you don't walk on it because it might still hurt. You know, and I know something in me says that with it. I don't mean to have a little. You know, one sounds better than the other. Not really. People who want grace instead of mercy think they are God. My leg is broken, but everybody needs me, so I need to walk anyway. Lord, you can't do anything without me. Empower me so I can do it. That's the little twist that you get when you're oriented to mercy instead of grace. I am needed. You can't do things without me. People who are into the grace instead of mercy have a hard time with Sabbath. I can't rest. You might need me to do something. You know? <laughs> um, and then, again, the other end. I, I know I'm, I'm going back and forth, and this will be the last time I say this. On the other end, um, people in mercy, there tends to be a line that, you know, you can't use me. You're better off without me. Go on without me. Just leave me here. Because I'm just holding you back. That's the lie that mercy speaks. Now, there's some, sometimes desire for pity. Just leave me here, I'll die. 
I mean, it could be twisted further or it could be simply enough. If I wasn't in the picture, it would work better. If this, somebody else did it, it would go better. Moses wasn't looking for grace when he said, hey, I can't do it. I'm a man who doesn't know how to speak well. He was looking for mercy. Lord, make me feel better about being a bad speaker and, and use someone else to do it. You know, so I'm not saying this is, this is the problem of weaklings. This is, this, these are issues of priests and kings and prophets, you know, and small children and large adults. Okay? Um, so everybody stand up. Um. <laughs> now, I'm going to say this, a very linear person. I don't necessarily assume when someone's moved by the Lord, they move to the front of the service. I think when certain people are moving a certain way, they move to the back. And other people move in a certain way, they move to one side, and other people move to the other. So, um, you know, I want to do something that doesn't involve necessarily coming forward because, I, you know, I like three-dimensional thought processes and, and not just linear ones. Like, there's forward and backwards, and that's it. Um, but, um, I, I like people doing stuff when I'm speaking because it makes you uncomfortable as I am, okay? <laughs> so I'm not an introvert, and I'm going to speak twice for about 40 minutes each time. There's no reason you should be comfortable, too. Um, so, um, well, all right. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> I keep on feeling four things, okay? Um, there's people, <laughs> you're particularly aware of your need for mercy right now. Right? Not, I've been looking for mercy all along and I really need grace. I don't mean you. I mean, oh, I didn't realize I needed mercy in some new way. All right? Um, what, what I want is everybody, if that's you, raise your hand if that's you. Right, I need mercy. I didn't know I needed mercy. All right. Um, can you guys all come to the center aisle? Because that's where you'll be most naked and most exposed. Everybody will look at you and realize you need mercy. But do you know what? Everybody in the room will look at you and say, oh, God has mercy for you. All right? So if you, yeah, yeah, I realized, I didn't realize I needed mercy in a way that I, you know, whatever. All right? Center aisle. No, not in a chair next to center aisle. All right. Um, now, this is the second group. If you have a heart for those who need mercy... I went to it. I used to go to the vineyard. And every time after worship or after the message, no matter what we prayed for, we always prayed for people who were, who were physically hurt. Okay? This great heritage of the vineyard. None of them all do it anymore, but, but we used to do it all the time in most vineyards. Um, and I went. I mean, I was in physical pain. I knew they were going to pray for me. As soon as it was time for prayer, you know what happened? I felt perfect. And I went and prayed for they got healed and the surface over. You know what happened afterwards? I felt horrible again. But I knew I was supposed to pray. Why? Because I felt perfect. Mercy was flowing through me. So, if you feel mercy flowing, raise your hand if you feel mercy flowing through you right now. And I don't mean that, that you're perfect and you don't need grace or mercy. You just feel mercy on you. 
All right. I want you to pray, start praying for people in this middle row. You can start praying for them. I'll pray out loud, but just start praying for them. All right? You, you can put your hands on people in appropriate places. Let's listen. If you feel called for God to pour out mercy through you, pray, pray for the people in the middle row right now. How will you know you feel mercy? Because you want them to, <laughs> to feel comfort. You want them to be covered. You want them to be seen through God's eyes, that he loves them no matter how broken, how needy they are. If you're feeling that, you should pray for the people in the middle right now. You may need it yourself. He'll get to you. But the brace, the, one of the best ways to get mercy is to pour out mercy. Right? <laughs> Those who show mercy... <laughs> Those who pour out mercy, they shall be shown mercy, okay? How do you know? Well, if you feel it throwing into you like you need mercy, we'll get in the middle and people will pray for you. But if you feel it flowing through, you pray for the people in the middle. Even if you're just raising your hand at them, okay? Well, Lord, we present this group as a, as a people in need of mercy, Lord. Lord, in need of mercy, Lord. Lord, unearned, unconditional, unending. Lord, you will pour out mercy forever without them ever earning it. Lord, mercy is always unearned, Lord. It's always unconditional, Lord. Lord, we ask that you would pour out mercy your heart. You'd see them particularly through your eye of mercy, Lord. Lord, they would know that you see them, Lord, where they feel naked, where they feel stuck, where they feel broken, where they feel hurt. Lord, and they would know, Lord, that you're not waiting for them to be better, Lord. You're not waiting for them to do something right, Lord. You're not waiting for them to fix themselves, Lord. You're not trying to get them to do more, Lord. You want them to know your comfort, Lord, to join them where they are and for, you, for them to know that you're with them and that you love them there. Lord, we speak that to them where they are, Lord. But you are a merciful God who joins your people in their suffering, Lord. Lord, humans are screwed up in pain. You become a human, Lord. You comfort those in pain by your presence, Lord. Those who are naked and hiding, Lord, you find them. You do bring them out in the open, Lord, but then you dress them and clothe them with your promises, Lord. Not just clothes, Lord, but your promise for salvation. You're naked. Here's some clothes. And by the way, the Son of Man will crush the head of the serpent. Lord, you die for us out of mercy. Lord, you died on the cross for us out of mercy, Lord. Lord, we pour out mercy. We break all shame. We break all fear, Lord. We break all, I have to earn it first. I have to do something first. I have to wait. I don't get it. We break all those lies right now in the name of Jesus Christ. We pour out mercy, Lord. And I speak this over this church. You would orient us to mercy. When we're hurt, when we're naked, when we're poor and we're in pain, we will ask for mercy from you. We will seek mercy. We will go to each other and say, hey, I need mercy. Help me. But pour out mercy, Lord. Be a God of mercy this morning. And continue that. And don't stop the mercy. All right. Now, I want to speak to the other, well, the rest of you probably. Um, God is empowering you to do things you know you can't do. He's telling you you're somebody that you don't think you are. When you read the Word, you think it's for somebody else to do or to be or to understand or to know. 
When you're in a group and you have something to say, you think that you shouldn't say it because somebody else can probably say it better. Right? You're people who are not looking for grace and God's pouring out grace upon you. So I just, if you're stirred up in the area of grace, I, I want you to come forward. Primarily because God is pushing you forward, okay? Now you could mean both. I, I'm not, you know. But you know what you're asking for here, right? He's going to tell you you're something, and your heart's going to say, hey, wait a minute, I don't think that's who I am. God says, yes, that's who you are. You're a rock. You're anointed, right? You're transformed. You're perfect. Would your eyes of mercy see all of our weakness, your eyes of grace see no weakness at all. You push us out of a plane without a parachute into the middle of a war with no one else with us. And you'll say, hey, you can do it. No problem. Don't worry about it. I'm with you. I'm pouring out power. When we look at you, we're walking on water. We take our eyes off you, we're sinking in the water. All right. Now, I said four groups. There's a fourth group. You like to empower people in grace. You like to help people do things they don't want to do. Right? You like calling people names they don't know that they are. If that's even remotely stirred up in you right now, I want you to come forward. I want you to put your hand on someone who came forward for grace. We're not looking at exclusive sets. You can, you know. <laughs> You're receiving grace. I'm all fun, well, full, fully empowered. You want to pray for people? Turn around and pray for people. I don't care. I do care, but... <laughs> not based on me knowing what you're doing. Lord, we ask for your grace to pour out this morning, Lord. To power us to be, Lord, who, who, who the world needs us to be, that we can't be, Lord. To be who the church needs us to be, that we can't be in our own, Lord. To say the things that need to be said that we don't know how to say, Lord. To be the bride in ways we don't know how to be the bride, Lord. Lord, you have called us to be perfect because you were perfect. But if that's not grace, calling us to the throne. I don't know what it is, Lord. When Isaiah realized he had unclean lips, Lord, you cleansed his lips. But when you asked who could speak, Lord, then he spoke, Lord. You poured out mercy in his lips and you poured out grace in his lips. You cleansed them and you empowered him to speak, Lord. Well, I pray that for these people, Lord. When they have something to say from you, they will say it, Lord. It will be good because you are good, Lord. Not because they know what they're doing, because you know what you're doing, Lord. Pour out your mercy, Lord, and then follow it with your grace, Lord. They feel scared, Lord, comfort them. Then empower them, Lord. They're in pain, Lord. Comfort them. Then give them strength, Lord. Well, I pray for, Lord, an outpouring of healing, Lord. Through these people, Lord. Through these people in this church that need to be healed by others who you're pouring out grace through. To manifest his mercy in someone else's life, Lord. Do that with these people, Lord. But if you're telling them to run, they can't even walk, Lord. Pour out your mercy, Lord. Well, but pour out your grace for them to do it, Lord. Well, stir up gifts of prophecy, Lord. Gifts of healing, Lord. Lord, proclamation of truth, Lord, evangelism, Lord. 
John Spraker was a perfect evangelist with his mom. Because you used him in that moment. Pour out those moments, Lord. Lord, who we can't be with our family who you've called us to be, Lord. Who we can't be at work who you've called us to be, Lord. Who we can't be when we're around other Christians but you, who you've called us to be, Lord. Empower us, Lord. Not because it's us, but because it's you, Lord. Pour out grace, Lord. Pour it out, Lord. Lord, I do, Lord, ask for a a chiropractic adjustment from the body, Lord. That we won't lean to the right or to the left, Lord. We won't default to mercy or grace. We'll we'll default to both, Lord. We'll take on the mindset of that that silly uh, um, Coke commercial, the Coke Zero commercial. They ask for and. You want mercy or grace? Yes. Which one? Yes. Which one you want now? Yes. Whatever you're pouring, whatever we need, Lord, in both in equal measure, pour it out, Lord. Let us build before you humble, Lord, and be before the Lord full of power, and yet humble before you, Lord. Lord, and I ask, Lord, that you would, Lord, respond to us, Lord, according to Isaiah 66, 1, Lord. Lord, where heaven is your throne, earth is your footstool, but you're looking for a place to dwell, Lord. And then you consider the humble and the meek, Lord. And to me, you're answering, who will you dwell with? You'll dwell with those of broken spirit, the humble and the meek. You'll pour out mercy, Lord. But then you'll manifest your righteousness and your justice, Lord. Your grace and your power, Lord, they'll be able to stay, Lord, because it's on you and it's not on us, Lord. Lord, you sit on the kingdom, Lord. Lord, and you dance with your bride, Lord. You're not looking to sit on the bride, Lord. We don't need to tell you that we're justice and right, Lord. We need to say you're justice and right, Lord. And you can flow through us all you want, Lord. And you can come and sit with us because your throne's going to rest, Lord, upon the rocks, Lord. Lord, and you're going to sit inside the trees, Lord. Lord, and you're going to make everything right and just, Lord. Lord, we're going to manifest it, Lord, because we're receiving your mercy and your grace, Lord. Lord, I ask that for this year in particular, Lord, we'd step into mercy and grace, Lord. We'd know it in full, Lord, in total, Lord, and in sequence and in alteration, Lord. We can go from being weak to being strong and not wonder why, Lord. Lord, we can go from being strong to being weak and not think there's a problem, Lord. Lord, I ask you pour out discernment, Lord. Pour out discernment, Lord. Just that moment of awareness. Ah! You're trying to give me grace. Or, ah! You're trying to give me mercy. Or maybe you're trying to give us mercy every Monday, Lord. We feel that way on Monday. Because you're drawing our awareness of mercy, Lord. We keep on having stupid, crazy ideas on Thursday because you're trying to give us grace on Thursday to do the things we can't do on our own, Lord. Sink us to your schedule, to your rhythm, Lord. Lord, empower us to people who can mer- administer mercy or grace, Lord. Someone's hurting, we can be comforting without fixing them, Lord. Someone's stuck, we can move them forward. Maybe without getting them to know like, how broken they are. Lord, we just, just 
We empower them, Lord. Make this a house of mercy and grace, and a house of grace and mercy, and a house of mercy and grace. Make us a place that doesn't pick and choose what we want you to do. We don't close the closet because our new room needs to be clean, Lord. You want to go into the closet, you can see your mess, Lord. When you want to send us out in the streets, you can pour out your power, Lord. You want to do both at the same time? Go ahead and do both at the same time, Lord. Wear your bride, wear your people, Lord. Dance with us, Lord. Stir us up, Lord. Now, Lord, I ask you to take this into our lives, Lord. Lord, heart, I am just praying, Lord. Lord, haunt each day of the week with this stuff, Lord. Lord, haunt us with mercy and grace. Pour out mercy and grace, Lord, to us and through us, Lord. Oh, Lord. Lord, we ask for more, Lord. Now, staying here, Lord, we look to you, Lord. We look to you, Lord. We look to you, Lord. I pray for a revelation of your throne room, Lord. Particularly this year, particularly in this place, Lord. Well, I pray, Lord, you'd release your glory in my, Lord. Lord, that we would encounter, Lord, um, Being fully full of mercy and grace. Lord, we boldly approach your throne, Lord. Lord, we'd see you with unfailed faith and we'd be transformed by your likeness, Lord. Lord, I do ask for glimpses of your glory, Lord. Glimpses of your throne, Lord. But even though it's one of the most over-cliched things in the last ten years in the prophetic movement, Lord, we pray that you would give us an open heaven, Lord. We'd see you as Jacob did at the top of the stairs, Lord. We'd see you as Ezekiel did, Lord, over the weird creatures with wings and fiery things, Lord. And we'd see you sitting on the, the lapis lazuli throne, Lord. Lord, we see you as John did, Lord, sitting in the tree of life with the river running through you, Lord. In you, Lord, is the tree of life. You are the tree of life. And it is your throne, and in it you sit, Lord. Lord, you'd make us one with all of creation, Lord. But I find it really interesting, Lord, the word um, for judgment, Lord, is mishpah, Lord. Lord, in the word, Lord, that, you, that Jacob and Laban use for a rock to bear witness is mitzpah, Lord. Something waiting to judge and something that is judging, Lord. Like make us in sync with the earth, Lord. Lord, in which you sit your throne, Lord in which you pour out mercy and justice and righteousness, Lord. Make us a people of truth, Lord. 
I know why mercy comes first, Lord, because if grace comes first, it comes as truth. And people who haven't received mercy, Lord, they get truth spoken, Lord, where they haven't repented, Lord. And it becomes judgment, Lord. Let us be a people who receive truth, Lord. Lord, and forgiveness at the same time, Lord. Lord, I pray for dreams and visions this year, Lord. Lord, encounters with you, Lord. Encounters with the divine, Lord. Encounters with your throne, Lord. Because you love us, Lord, and because you're God, and because we're made to behold your throne forever, Lord. I just pray for a season of that, Lord. I just want to speak this scripture over us, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. And this is it. You had not received mercy, and I'll include grace, but now you have received mercy and grace. And so, Lord, I just pray, I know that as Jim his heart, Lord God, in declaring this is that we would be men and women and children. God, a body raised up on the foundations of your throne. And God, that out from your throne comes mercy and grace. And we have to be a people of mercy and grace.